0: Uh, look at growth in the church's value from Ephesians. Uh, let me read it to you, uh, Ephesians 4, 7 to 16. You can follow it with me if you like. I'm just going to get into it. It says, But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, When he ascended on high, he led a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he had also descended into the lower regions of the earth? He who descended is the one who also ascended, far above all the heavens, that He might fill all things. And He gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ, until we all attain the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Thank you, Paul, for a very long sentence that's still not finished. It is beautiful. Often when we think about growth, we think about numbers and size, Um, and that's not entirely wrong. If we spoke about uh, a family is growing, we would think of the streets, and they've just had a baby. They've grown from three to four. The family's grown in size. It's grown in number. Um, If you spoke about a baby, I I saw Ali today uh, for the first time in a little while, and, and I said, she's grown. And what I meant by that is she's got bigger. Um, that's kind of a normal way that we speak of growing, um, and that's right. But there's another way of, of speaking about it that is right. The kingdom of God is always growing. It's always getting larger. It's, it's expanding, and that's, and that's true. But there's another way, and when uh, Paul talks about growth in the church, he, he talks about it in the other way. And the other way we talk about growing is we talk about it in a sense of maturity. If you ask me about my kids and I said, yeah, you know, my, my son, he's, he's really growing up a lot, and I'm so proud of him. You wouldn't have a sense that he's getting taller. You would have a sense coming from that that there's something about his character and nature that's, that's changing, that's been shaped, that's maturing, that I'm feeling positive towards. Um, or I might say, oh, they're not growing up. I'm so frustrated. <laughs> you would have a sense that, there's, that the maturity is not happening, that there's immaturity, and I have a negative sense of that. And so when Paul writes about the church and he's writing about growth, he's not talking about um, all the churches in Ephesus becoming megachurches, he's talking about the body of Christ, the church of God, maturing and growing into uh, the people that God has made them and intended them to be. Um, And so there's this, this sense of maturity that he speaks with. And so... Uh, as we look at this text, I want to answer three questions about this value of growth and this, this idea of maturing as the people of God. And these are the three questions I want to answer is, what enables growth in the church? What do we use to grow the church? So like what is the tool or the, the, the vessel that we use? And then what does growth look like in the church? How do we know if we're growing? Um, is it bums on seats? And obviously I've, I've tried to say it's not bums on seats. Uh, in this sense, it's, it's maturity. Um, so number one, what enables growth in the church? Um, so there's this general pattern in the New Testament that goes like this. Uh, be, do, be, do, be. Uh, be is about being. It's, it's who you are. Do is about doing. It's about what you're involved in, the practical kind of doing stuff. And the general, the general song of the New Testament goes, be, do, be, do, be. If the song goes doobie doobie doo, it's a a moralistic, it's usually a moralistic, legalistic, uh, religious type of song. And so the idea there is that where you see a doobie doobie doo, you have a sense of like, for example, I, I need to obey God in order to be loved by God. So I need to do something. In order to be something, I need to do what God requires in order to be loved by God or receive love by God. So it's a doobie doobie doo. And so people who are singing the dooby dooby doo gospel are, feel very guilty and full of shame and wallow in things when they're not doing well, uh, when they're not obeying God. And then when they are obeying God, they feel very prideful, very um, confident because of the, it's coming, their confidence and pride is coming from their doing or their shame and guilt is coming from their doing. Um, or they a few, refuse to accept this in their life, because it's too hard, because the identity is in the doing. So that's the dooby-dooby-doo song that we all have to try and avoid. Uh, the New Testament be dooby be doo be song is this wonderful, grace-filled song that it's by Christ alone that we're saved, through faith in Him and His finished work. We are made something, the children of God, and as the children loved by God, we can do obedience, because we're loved. And so the the song would maybe go like the you can put it up, Chris. I think there's a couple of examples. Um, someone who's obedient to God, so that God will love them, is what's the song? Dooby dooby doo. Do you want to sing it? No. no, no, okay. And then someone who knows God's love, God loves them, so it is their joy to obey God. Is be do be do be, right? Okay. I help in kids' ministry, ministry because I want to be a good member. Doobie, dooby doo. It's not an evil thing. It's still a great idea. Still, yeah. <laughs> 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 but what happens is if you're not helping, you feel like a bad member. And your identity is affected by your doing. That's a doobie, doobie, doo song. Or, because I'm already a member of Christ's body, I want to serve in the kids' ministry. Be, do, be, do, be. Because I already am part of this thing, I want to participate where is there a need. Right? Do, do, you see, do you see the difference in the tune? So it's a, it has a radical effect. And those of you who understand music, and I don't understand music very well, so I, I feel like I've got to my limits, but um, I, it, it has a, a, a radical effect. And I, I know this, I can listen to some songs uh, that impact me. I just, want to, I just want to change the channel. And other songs that they make me sit, they make me breathe. They make me, uh, my soul, just be refreshed. Jonathan Ogden's a good one for that if, if you're looking for someone. And that's the B do B do B song. All right. And so that's the general pattern. Enough about that. I hope you can remember it as we go along. Because um, what you're going to see here is the B do B do B pattern in the church's growth. Paul says. A grace has been given to everyone. Listen to, re, read number verse 7 again. It says, But grace was given to each one of us. If your faith is in Jesus, the grace of Jesus has been given to you. Paul doesn't say the grace of God, the grace of Christ has been given to some of us. The grace of Jesus has been given to all of us. Every one of us. Um, which is, is, is pretty amazing. What's interesting is that Jesus doesn't start a seminary while He's on earth. He doesn't start a school for training professional ministers. Uh, the, best he, he, the closest He comes to that is an invitation, follow me, walk with me. But that's also the same invitation every one of us receive. So it's not a walk with me and then the most elite can go to the school of Jesus to become a minister in His body. Or can I minister to the body? I don't know. What degree do you have? What ordination do you have? Jesus doesn't give us that. What He gives us is, come follow me, walk with me. I'm going to give you a grace to minister in the body of Christ on every one of us. So every one of us are called by the grace of Jesus to minister to one another. So grace, when referring um, to God over here, has this meaning of favor and God leaning into us God leaning towards us with kindness. So for us, when, when we see this grace um, and God extending Himself for us, when we, when he, when we think of this grace and we think of Christ's grace on us, what it does to our hearts or what it does in our lives, the grace of Jesus on us means it points us towards one another. It makes us lean towards each other in kindness and it even enables us to extend ourselves for each other. In other words, it helps us to sacrifice ourselves for the good of one another. And that's Christ's grace, and we see Christ doing that. So when Jesus gives us His grace, it means that He's kindly leaning in towards us to enable us to participate in what He's doing in each other's lives. What a privilege. It also means that working through us, He's extending His grace uh, to those around us. So that means that people around you can receive or witness the grace of Jesus through your life extended to them. That means I can say, in, in the best of times, you, you are a picture of God's grace to me. You are a blessing to me. You are Christ's kindness to me. I thank God for you. You are His His leaning in towards me or to one another. We can say that of each other. We can't always say that. It doesn't always feel like that because it's not always like that. What's important to remember here is that this grace, this resource, it's not our own and it's not for our, our kind of own using. It's a bit like the best picture I can maybe get and, and maybe it's too simple, but it's a little bit like... A parent's Christmas, they might give their children a budget to buy them a gift, and that child goes and buys a gift, and on Christmas Day, that terribly wrapped present is given to the parent, and the child is so excited about the gift that it's giving its parent, and the parent opens it, and the child just thinks it's amazing, and the child experiences joy and kind of wonder, and expects the, the parent to be in awe of their generosity and their brilliance. But all the while, the child didn't use any of its own resources. The child used the parents' money. Um, Do you get what I'm trying to say? And and that's kind of how grace works. Even though we participate in it fully, and even though there's joy and wonder and, and delight in participating, the resource comes from Christ. It's not our own. So there's this infinite bank of grace where Jesus works through our lives to the good of each other, but it's His resource, His grace, His kindness, His love working through us to one another. And so we serve Jesus by His grace in ministering the body. And everyone has a role in doing this. I, I thought, When I was thinking about it this week, I thought of last year, I, I thought of Andy Lee. You all know Andy Lee, so I thought I'd bring him up. He's a servant of note. He has a grace on his life to serve the body of Christ in ways that few people in this room have, but it's not his grace, it's the grace of Jesus in his life. And there was, a, there was a time last year when I began to get frustrated because I realized people like myself were minimizing the grace of God on his life and trying to get him to do less. And we kept making statements like, you know, Andy, you're doing too much. Like, why don't you, why don't you do less? Why don't you show up less? Why don't you put your hand up for less? Come on, Andy. Like, What we weren't witnessing, what we were trying to do is minimize the grace of God in His life to serve in a certain way to our own comfort. I'm uncomfortable with how much you're doing, so please stop. Please do what I would be comfortable doing. Please do what I have the grace to do. Instead of going, Andy, the grace of Jesus on your life causes awe and wonder in me. You have caused more blessing in this church than could ever be calculated. Through your acts of service that hardly anyone recognizes except now and then from the front. Kids are getting ministered to. Adults are being ministered to. Cafes are being able to. There is gospel conversations happening everywhere, partly due to the grace of God on your life to be able to serve. And I think of Joel, who's not here today because he's sick, so he's on Zoom. Hello, Joel. Who for years and years and years, has sat at the back of a computer and enabled worship and preaching and websites and countless other kind of practical, not super spiritual things. But the grace of Jesus on His life, the faithfulness working through His life, the reliability, the consistency over and over and over, you and I have been able to be ministered to and have been ministered to through His service. And it's easy to say his name because he's not here. But I would have to add Chris Green. I'd have to add Jeannie Piotrowski, formerly known as Jeannie Green. For those of you who are like, what is he talking about? And I could go on and on. I really could. The grace of God on people's lives... That we can literally go to each other and say, you have been a blessing. You are a blessing. You continue to be a blessing. The grace of Jesus on your life to minister to His body is affecting my life. Is helping us grow. Rebecca, uh, no pressure on her, but so far each time we've met, she's had a gold nugget. We've met twice. She's had two gold nuggets Uh, Rebecca, Friday, start planning it. Um, This week, her gold nugget was this. She said, I have this picture. She said, you know, if a a branch that's bearing fruit is cut off from the tree, it doesn't matter what fruit it's bearing. It just stops to grow. It it can't continue being healthy. And I guess I just want to bring this in here to say, none of us ever become independent of Jesus' grace. No matter how mature we get, in how we're able to minister to the body of Christ, no matter how many times we do it, the second we no longer depend on Christ, the second we no longer are ministering through His grace, we are a branch with fruit that's withering away. Powerless and useless. We are completely always dependent on Christ and His grace to minister to one another, to do good to one another, to love one another. And I forget that, personally. I don't know if you ever do. What do we use then, number two, what do we use to grow the church? So if God's grace enables us or empowers us, what do we use then to grow the church? We're told that, uh, that there are, are ways we can serve one another through Christ's gifts. That's what Paul talks, uh, calls them here. So there's nothing to be proud of or insecure about because they're Christ's gifts. So however you are able to minister to the body of Christ, I don't have to be insecure about that or proud of, you know, if I've got a gift to be proud of it because it's not, after all, my own. And it's not, after all, your own. But the gifts of Christ, Christ knowing what His body needs, working through His people and enabling the body to have everything it needs for growth. It's His gift. What's interesting here for me is that Paul doesn't say, we've all received uh, gifts according to the measure of Christ's grace. Because if he said that, think about that. If Paul said, we've all received gifts according to the measure of Christ's grace, then I feel like it would be a Christmas party. And we all received a gift from Jesus according to the grace that we receive. And one kid opens up this amazing, glorious gift. They have the most beautiful voice an anointing on their life, and every time they open their mouth to sing, people fall down in the presence of God and are in awe of Jesus. And someone else receives this gift to move boxes around the third place on Sunday mornings. Oh, your gift is glorious. My gift isn't. Jesus has given you so much grace and He's given me so little and, and we start to, you see what we start to do, we start to have like this, not, not a, uh, we're not looking at each other on merit, but we're looking at each, at each other on giftedness, and so you put the most gifted above, and the least gifted at the bottom, and you go, those are the really important, and you start to like highlight these things, and Paul doesn't say that, he says each of us have received the grace, not the gift, we've received the grace of Christ according to the measure of His gift, and it's His gift, it's still His gift, It will always be His gift. And as you participate in His gifting, let's all remember it's His, and however we get to participate, there's this privilege. So we've got nothing to be insecure about, nothing to be proud of. Every saint is empowered by grace to show others some aspect of Christ's nature and character and work. So I'm going to say that again. Every saint is empowered by grace to show others some aspects of Christ's nature and character and work. There's not a single Christian brother or sister that we don't need. If we want to understand the fullness of Jesus Christ, if we want to grow in the fullness of His character and nature and the full knowledge of who He is, and if we want to grow into the full unity that we have through the Spirit, we need every brother and sister. Church global, church universal, and church local. There's no one who's more or less valuable because every believer has the grace to demonstrate an aspect of Christ, to serve one another, to minister to each other. Let me go through a list so you get what I mean. Christ is, uh, you are only able to serve, and he's only able to serve, and he's gifted at it. He's only able to do that because Christ is the servant. You can lead because Christ, is the leader. You can only arrange ministries because Christ, is the great organizer. You can create things because Christ, is the creator. You can pray for people to be healed because Christ, is the healer. You can give people compassion because Christ, is compassionate. You can only preach truth because Christ, is truth. You can only prophesy in part because Christ, is the supreme word of God. You can only shepherd people because Christ is the chief shepherd. You can only give mercy because Christ is merciful. You can only give wise counsel because Christ or His spirit is the counselor. So any gift that we experience in Christ is Christ's gifts. We should walk humbly, amazed that Jesus would use us to serve him in ministering to each other. What a privilege we have, every one of you us. what a privilege we have to minister to one another. I love uh, hearing a story. A friend of mine leads a church and um, he tells a story about a CEO of a global company who serves in the church in the kids' ministry, not as the leader of the kids' ministry, just as a Sunday volunteer. Isn't that just like Jesus? Someone who has the competency and gifting to be the CEO of of a global company and in the body says... I think what we, where we need to put you is, I think you need to help the children know Jesus. What a gift. Now I don't know if, I don't know if He needs the children to minister to him and just help him be humble. I don't know if the children need him and his sharp acumen to fully understand the gospel. I don't know if it's just what it is that Jesus has gifted him in that way. It's, it could be complex, it could be simple. Who knows the reason? But isn't it wonderful that Jesus takes all of our lives and He doesn't look at us like, like He says in the Old Testament, you know, of um, the, the Israelites picked Saul, God picks David. He says, I don't pick people like you do. I don't look at the... You look at outward appearances, I don't. Isn't it wonderful that God takes anyone and uses us however we want? And as brothers and sisters, we don't bring our low state or high state into the body of Christ. We don't bring our uh, great education or no education. We don't bring our bank account or no bank account. We, we bring none of that. We bring our, our identity in Christ, and before Christ we're all equals. And any way we get to serve is a great privilege, because it's Christ ministering through us to His body. Jesus is so surprising. It's just like Jesus to grace us and to allow us to participate in ways that we, in and of ourselves, are not competent to. So Paul now goes on just a bit of an exposition of Psalm 68. And he, he, he goes into this picture of, uh, if you just follow this, the passage, he goes into this picture reflecting on Psalm 68, and that's what he's quoting and he says God, that psalm is about God is in this great battle and he wins this great battle and then he goes up to Zion and the earth thunders and there's thousands of chariots and soldiers and captives that, are come, that come in his train as he goes up to his throne. God is the victorious king over all. And in that passage it talks about how the people come and give gifts to God. And that's, that's a normal thing that in war those who are captive, uh, those who are captive will come and give homage or, or pay uh, tribute to the victor. And then Paul says in this passage, you know, this God who's the victorious God who has all things gives gifts to men. In other words, that's the next progression of what that great victorious king does. All these things come into his kingdom and then he distributes it through his kingdom as it's needed and required. And Paul says, then he goes, you know, and there's, there's these foundational things. This is how we start. Jesus gave the apostles... Um, and the apostles were foundational to the church. So there, there's this cornerstone, and he gave the prophets. And he can give prophets because Jesus is the Word of God revealed. And he gave evangelists, and he can do that because it's Jesus who saves. And he gave shepherds, and he can do that because he is the chief shepherd. And he gave teachers, and he can do that because he is the source of all truth. These are all foundational ways in which he begins to build his church. If you go look in Acts 2, and the first believers come together, and there's this devoted gathering. But it doesn't just stay there, it goes on. He gives these things to equip the saints for the work of ministry. And the New Testament tells us of about at least 20 gifts mentioned. And in any of the lists in 1 Corinthians 12 or Romans 12, 1 Corinthians uh, 12 or 14, and then there's another another place. Uh Ephesians 4, there's, a, there's none of the lists do they uh, pretend to be exhaustive. In other words, they're all just demonstrating the beginning of thought of how the gifts work. Mercy, service, leadership, prophecy, discerning spirit. There's, there's all these things mentioned, at least 20, but illustrative, illustrative of how Jesus uses us to minister to one another. And this doesn't look easy. I mean, if you, you, we've been going for 22... Sorry, we, the church has been going on now for 2,000 years. And you go, well, it doesn't look totally perfect yet. What's going on? The, the problem is that Jesus is working with children. And I don't know if you've ever tried to do something with children. It's not always easy. But the, He's working with the children of God. Steve said a number of times at the call to worship and after worship, Jesus, help us with our hearts. He's identifying that even, even at the best of times, we, we, we can still be struggling. We can be dealing with pride. We can be dealing with all sorts of sin going on in our lives. Jesus is working with His children. He's growing real people, not robots. He's not programming you for a gift and then you just robotically go and love each other. You've got the gift of healing. Someone's sick, they line up outside your robot arm and then you just touch them with your oily palm and they get magically healed. We're not robotic gift givers. We're His children that are on journeys walking with Jesus like the disciples who had their own problems walking with Jesus, ups and downs, and yet to their own surprise, Jesus still used them in surprising ways. The, mo- the, most, the most amazed were themselves. And that's us. That's the church. We should be amazed that anyone gets benefit out of us. As we bless someone or pray for someone or or counsel someone or preach something or serve in some way or teach in kids ministry or be hospitable or be generous. And someone goes, wow, that's really, you really helped me today. Yeah, Thank you for pointing me back to Jesus. We should be as surprised as they should. Because Jesus is working with children. God's children, loved children, beloved children, never to forget children, adopted children, but children. Lastly, notice how in Paul's writing, the person serving or ministering to the body becomes the gift to other. Paul says he gave apostles and so on. He gave. Pro- he doesn't say he gave apostolic ministry. He gave prophetic ministry. He gave. He, he talks about the person. That, that uh, is given. And in that, there's this, there's this wonderful, as I've been saying over and over, that in some way we become part of the blessing. So it's not just that we deposit something, but there's this personal exchange where we, we the, God, as God works through us to minister to one another, we become part of that blessing. That people can be grateful to God for what He's doing in their lives and also through whom He's doing it. What a blessing. I mean, just pause for a moment. Some of you look a bit tired, and I'm not going to go on for too much longer, but um, I, I really want to try and capture your imagination. That, in all sincerity, someone could be grateful to God for you. Now, I, I, I feel like I'm sounding like a teacher at school that, like, really, kind of like a math or history teacher. That's like, do you see how amazing that is? And all the students are like, where will the bell go? <laughs> I feel like that a little bit. And I, and I don't think it's that. I don't think I'm just harping on something. I, I think I'm, I'm trying to get us to pause in something that's really wonderful. And if our hearts can capture it, humility and gratitude and joy will follow. That the way God works in the body of Christ, your brothers and sisters can be grateful to God not just for the things you do, but for you. I'm so grateful for Chris. I'm so grateful for Becky. I'm not 100% sure that our family would still be in Australia if it wasn't for Becky. She raised my kids. I don't think she got $50 from us. It was the worst uh, use of time if you relate time to money. Useless. Becky should think better about how she uh, makes money. Her idea of economy is very bad. But her idea of grace and giftedness is very good. I'm not just grateful for the way that she blessed our family. It's caused me to forever the rest of my life be grateful to God for her. Do you see how that works? And, and not, to, not to harp on Becky, but what, what right does anyone have in each other's life to be that sort of blessing where for the rest of your life you'd say, God, thank you for that person at that time in our lives? That's too great a glory for any of us. Why would Jesus share that with us? Because it's His grace because He leans in towards us and He lets us participate. Number three, what does growth look like in the church? Paul says from verse 14 that growth means no, that we're no longer children who get confused and distracted by different doctrines and human cunning and craftiness and deceitfulness of schemes. In other words, growing up, growing growing means it looks like you're growing up in the gospel of Jesus. You're not uh, grabbing the gospel and then moving on to other doctrines and um, schemes and religious ideas. No, you grow up more fully in the gospel in a a better understanding of the grace of God through the gospel of Jesus. And that we stop being children. James talks about a double-minded man. Paul's talking about children tossed to and fro. You can convince them of anything. If you want to be mean parents... Take two different sides and watch your children vacillate. The poor little things. (laughs) I agree with Dad. I agree with Mom. I agree with Dad. I agree with who's right. (sighs) That's a child, right? And Paul says, stop being children. Get settled on Christ and never move from that place. Don't let anyone come and confuse you. Just stick on Christ. So he talks about a complete, ongoing dependency on Jesus for redemption, reconciliation, and restoration. So to counter this teaching, then Paul talks about um, speaking the truth in love. And that's a counter to these kind of winds of doctrine and human cunning and deceitfulness. Rather speak the truth in love. So he's saying we aren't to speak or to cling to the gospel or to uh, help each other grow in Christ in a way that's superior you know, so like, oh, you're so stupid! Don't you? Did you forget the gospel already? Don't speak the truth in love. Hey, I, um, that idea, I think it's counter the gospel. That idea we ha- that we're talking about, it, it's an okay idea, but it has no place for Jesus in it. He's not the hero in it. Um, let's get back to the gospel. Speak in love, so we don't speak as if we're superior. We don't speak boastfully. We don't speak arrogantly or proudly or insecurely. We speak the truth of Jesus lovingly. So we may need to remind one another of the truth but we do it in a loving manner, patient manner, gentle manner, kind manner with peace in mind. We counter all winds of doctrine, all schemes of man, all the idols of culture with the truth of Jesus. I remember we had this experience in King's Cross where someone was teaching things that were causing Christians to feel condemned, that they weren't doing enough for God. They were singing the Doobie Doobie Do song. And as elders, uh, we spoke to that this person said, here's the problem with your doctrine. It doesn't put Christ first. It's Christ plus. It's a Christ plus doctrine. So please stop uh, trying to uh, share that with people in the church. It's a Christ-only doctrine. Is the gospel Christ alone saves us? And they, they wouldn't. And um, they, I went off to America uh, because no, not on, I, because that was a family holiday already planned. And um, and the two elders behind eventually uh, had to lead the church in in disciplining this person and putting them out of fellowship because the doctrine was unhelpful to the Christ-only. Now, the Bible talks us about, tells us that to uh, warn divisive people once, twice, and there's kind of this pattern of third time, you have nothing to do with them. So to honor this, and I can share it easily because I, I was part of the beginning but not the end of the phase, is that the elders sat with this person seven times because they wanted to make sure that they weren't just speaking the truth, but that they were doing it in a loving way. If they were going to be at fault, they wanted to make sure that they were too kind, too patient, too gentle. And I don't think they were, but they just wanted to make sure that this person had every chance to repent and keep fellowshipping, to stop talking about Jesus plus, to stop making people feel condemned, to stop singing doobie dooby doo. We speak the truth in love. So what this looks like is that we get closer to these three things. Paul tells us we get closer to the unity of the faith, we get closer to the full knowledge of Jesus, and we get closer to the full stature of Christ's likeness. Chris, would you mind putting them up? Um, These are the three things. This is what growth looks like. The unity of the faith, the full knowledge of Jesus, the full stature of Christ's likeness. I might not have given a slide for that. But you can go read it in Paul's writing. So for 2,000 years, the church has been growing, and it will continue to grow. And it's going to continue to grow until Christ returns. And every believer has grace from Jesus to minister to his body. If your faith is in Jesus Christ, you have a grace from Jesus to minister to your brothers and sisters. And it can go beyond your natural giftedness. So don't assume if you're a good cook that you have to cook meals for everyone. You're welcome to do that, but don't... don't, Work it out. That sounds like you could do that in your sleep. And that's okay. But he may surprise you, like that CEO of a global company, and go, well, the way you can best minister to this body is be one of the kids' ministry volunteers teaching three-year-olds not to pick their nose and to believe in Jesus. (laughs) Best use of your Sunday mornings. There's no professionals, no glorious parts, no bystanders, We all lean in towards one another seeking to build each other up. That's the grace. When there's a wind of doctrine or human deceitfulness, we counter it with loving truth. And all the while we buckle down into the grace of Jesus to build His church. Nass will tell you that a Sunday school teacher who played a guitar and sang songs. She wasn't a very good teacher. She was good at just sitting, playing guitar, and singing songs. Helped her meet Jesus. More than anyone in her youth, just single lady, guitar and songs, created a pathway for her to know and love Jesus. She lived with the pastor of the church, but when she talks about her young faith, she doesn't mention him. He's had a great impact on both of our faith, but that's not who she mentions. She mentions the single lady, guitar, worship songs. I know for me, there's a man who was named Stephen Fairley. He was a psychology student. He drove a junk car. You could see the floor of the road in the car. It was very dangerous. His key would fall out and the car would stay on. It was a horrible vehicle. I can't believe my parents allowed me to drive in it. We would have died if it was an accident outside of God's hand. We ate terrible food. I was a teenager. He was a, a uni student. He was cool. I was, a, I was a teenager. Say no more. Sorry, Eden. Teenagers are super cool. But you know what? Every time we drove in the car, he played good worship songs. Mostly jars of clay. remember that? Remember that time? And good conversations. One day he went to the... Someone was in hospital and he said, Mark, do you you want to go with me to the hospital? And he picked me up and I watched him go into the hospital, a psychology student, go into the hospital to meet someone who's in the church and sick, pray for them and we left. Changed my life. I did nothing. But he showed me loving care. Changed my life. He wasn't a... At the time, he wasn't a great teacher, preacher. He just let me hang with him. And he just showed me Jesus' love to other people. He never gets the credit. I have written to him and I have thanked him. For the rest of my life, he has this crown where there's this this young guy, maybe I'm not that young, middle-aged guy, in Australia, saying "Thank you, Lord, for Stephen Fairley. Thank you for the love of Jesus He showed me for other people." And that's a crown that He'll be able to place at the feet of Jesus one day. Then there's obviously people like Tim Keller. Shows the gospel, but there's also people. He's maybe very profound. What about Sally Lloyd Jones? She wrote a children's Bible, less profound. Right? I've wept more through that children's Bible than any sermon I've ever heard. I've gotten to understand Jesus better through that children's Bible than maybe any other devotional I've followed. Forever, I'll thank the Lord for Sally Lloyd-Jones and the children's Bible. And I keep giving it to people saying, this will change your life. And it doesn't. So God, lets, God chooses what He will use. And we can't give anything the magic pill. That's the magic pill that will change your life. Well, it won't, unless Jesus' grace is honored to do that. When I think of King's Cross, that's affected my life and I am landing. And I hand over to Josh. When I think of King's Cross, the reality is, if I'm honest, there's times when there's complaining where, where I see, and this is maybe just speaking of myself, but I, I think there's others who are like me. There's self centeredness, there's idolatry, there's covetousness, there's unfaithfulness, there's unreliability, there's unkindness, there's unlovingness. In other words, we've still got a way to grow, we're not the full package. There's not a church in the world that that is the full package. The church in the world is not the full package. The church universal is not the full package. But I also see thoughtfulness. I also observe generosity. I also see servant-heartedness. I see long-suffering and patience. Hospitality. Warmth towards outsiders. Inclusiveness. Sincerity and humility. Giftedness. Sacrificial uh, service and love. See joyfulness and faithfulness. Reliability and trustworthiness. Gentleness. Prayerfulness. Consistency. There's some growth. There's some aspects of seeing God at work in our lives. There's things to celebrate and thank God for and say, Lord, we see your grace working. We see you doing things. Thank you for that person. Thank you for who they are. Thank you for how this body is healthier because of what you, the grace of, of Jesus on their life and the way that you're using them. Until Jesus returns, we're not going to uh, become the full mature church, which means our unity won't be where it's going. We, our unity is up here. We're still getting there. We're going to get there when Christ returns, but that's where we're heading all the time. For 2,000 years, we've been heading here. And maybe the graph isn't a straight line, but let's, as far as it depends on us, let's head in that direction. The full knowledge of Jesus Christ, we're not there yet. We're still growing in our knowledge and understanding of Christ. It's still impacting areas of our life it didn't yesterday. We're still growing in a full knowledge of Jesus Christ. But let's head there. And the fullness of Christ in us, or us in Him. Full participation. We're still heading there. But that's where we're going. And one day we'll be made exactly like uh, Christ, or, or be made exactly as we are meant to be in Christ. But we're still heading there. But that's a value of ours, is to grow in our unity our knowledge, and in our stature in Christ. and To take the grace of Jesus that's on our lives, and to minister on His behalf to one another. We can look each other in the eyes and say, you are a blessing from Jesus to me. I encourage you, even after communion or in communion, to find someone to say that to. And if you need to be clear about how they've encouraged you, how Jesus has used them to encourage you. I know this church pretty well. I could take all day and work around the room, but no one wants to stay here for this. And even some of you aren't in King's Cross. Jesus has used you to be a blessing. To my family, to be an encouragement. I'm not going to embarrass any of you now by saying your names. The point is that Jesus is at work in His church. And He graciously uses us to minister to one another. Every one of us. No one excluded. Let me pray.